Sometime a year or more ago, Diane Brokfast recently departed. She gave me this book, which is a book of essays by Ta-Nehisi Coates about the experience of black people in America and about our history of racism and white supremacy. I read it this summer. I think I told Diane that I was reading it. I hope I did. And when I was reading it, sometime in the middle, the thought came to me, I could preach about racism and white supremacy every month here. Because this book, it shook me up. It opened my eyes wider to the vast racial divide in America, the many ways the deck is stacked against people of color, especially against African Americans who were brought here as slaves starting in 1619. And even after emancipation, who suffered under Jim Crow segregation in the South and under racist laws and customs in the North. Where I went to seminary, anti-racism work was central to the curriculum because that school understood how our culture of white supremacy shapes everything in this country. But when I started working in parish ministry, I found myself wondering how to do this work with church folks. Because if it makes you uncomfortable or you find it disturbing or if you have any resistance to it, which is natural, at least at the start for white folks, you can just walk away. You cannot show up. You have that choice and that freedom. But where I went to seminary, we had no choice about this. On visiting day, we were told, if you're not willing to engage in this work, then do us all a favor and don't come here. Go somewhere else. And I'm grateful that I didn't have a choice because doing that work, having to dive into the deep end, to borrow that image that Sophia used in her beautiful sermon last Sunday, that dive into the deep end, some days I felt like the top of my head was going to fly off. It was hard, and it was liberating. So I've wondered over the years how to get people to do this hard work when I have no power to compel them. But you know, things have changed lately. And not for the better. The number of hate crimes in our country has exploded. People feel emboldened to be racist again, to be anti-Semitic again, to say hateful things and do harmful things against Muslims and Jews and people of color. These days, 
our unresolved race problem, our deep culture of white supremacy is front and center, right, is so obvious, isn't it clear that we do need to face it? And that it is, speaking for myself and other white folks, it is our problem. Reading ta Coates' book reminded me that people of color have such a different experience than I do, and that this is nothing new. We heard it in Langston Hughes' poem, how when it comes to people at the margins, this country has never lived up to its ideals. America was never America to me. And I wonder, at this moment, some of you must be thinking, this isn't why I come to church. You don't have to confess that, but I just wonder. If you're thinking that, then please hear me. I truly believe that to be a person of faith means we are called to look at the world around us with eyes wide open and to see what is broken and to see where people are suffering and then to ask what is needed here and how might I help? You may come here primarily for solace and sustenance, for some peace and comfort and for the warmth of community. And these are all good things, and we offer ample amounts of them here. But I hope you also come here to be challenged, to stretch and grow, to be stirred up even. Because this is a good place for that, too. I hope you feel safe enough here that you can take the risk of change and growth. One of our forebears on the Unitarian side, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he put it this way. He said, people wish to be settled, but only as far as they are unsettled is there any hope for them? May this be a place where we can practice being unsettled at least some of the time. I had a teacher in seminary who liked to encourage interfaith dialogue. And he said, if you do this deeply, it's risky business. It's risky to engage in conversation with someone who's different from you, someone from a different culture or religion or background, because if you dare to get beneath the polite surface of things, if you engage in deep and honest sharing, then you are going to be changed by that encounter. My teacher had a name for this. He called it crossing over and coming back. And this is what I commend to you today, this kind of faithful risking. Because there is another kind of encounter that I think of as a kind of spiritual or cultural tourism. 
where you go and you enjoy the food and the colorful rituals and costumes. It's thrilling, actually, and it's fun, but you don't get beneath the surface. You don't learn the meaning behind the rituals. You don't hear the stories that people have to tell. You don't get to know these people. You never call them friends. They never tell you what is truly in their heart. You might visit them, but you go home unchanged. What I'm talking about today is crossing over to what can feel like a new land, crossing over with an open heart and mind and being open to having your own assumptions challenged and changed, seeing that other people may view the world quite differently than you do. This is life-giving, and it's liberating, and it's worth the risk, especially if you identify as white as do most of us here. I hope you'll look for ways to do this. And a great place to start, if you haven't done it yet, is to take the decentering class that Ken Wagner is leading here starting on October 7th. If this intrigues you, or even if it scares you, especially if it scares you, I hope you will sign up. There are different levels different ways to engage in this work of racial justice and reconciliation. I think it helps to start by learning some of what you don't know, getting to know the underside of our history. There are a number of good books about this, including this one, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. There are other ones. And then it helps to keep your new, to not keep your new learnings to yourself, but engage with others in dialogue, expanding your perspective and being able to bounce these new understandings off others, like in that class that Ken is teaching. And after you do some amount of your own work and learning, then it's good to look for opportunities to dialogue with other people who are different. Opportunities that give you enough time and space to engage with people and see things from their perspective. Our long relationship with our neighbors across the street at Calvary Baptist Church offers us the potential for deeper dialogue with people of color but with them, I think we have to be particularly careful to not be tourists, to not ask them to do our own work for us, to not go to them hoping they're going to make us feel better about being white, but rather to learn how to be better listeners and friends and allies, to take that risk of looking more deeply at what is true. Once we have educated ourselves and made some connections with people and communities of color, then we will better 
be able to take positive action out in the world. Because we will better know what's needed and we will be mindful of how to be in relationship. We will be grounded by the work we have done. I'm so pleased that our Social Justice Resource Committee this year made its overarching church goal for us to be allying with communities of color. And I can think of no more important goal in these days and in this community, in this city. Sometime in the last year or so, I was having a conversation with a community leader in Haverhill who occasionally comes to church here. And we were talking about the racial and ethnic diversity in Haverhill. And he was telling me that he had recently been in conversation with Katrina Hobbs Everett, whom some of you know, who has been an outspoken leader in Haverhill, particularly in the schools, but in other places too, for all kinds of good work around race. And he asked Katrina, so who are your allies in this city? And the first, if not among the first organizations that she named was, she said, the people over there at the UU Church. They have been my allies. So we already have something of a reputation for showing up and for trying to walk our talk. But there is so much more that we can do. And now is the time. This book title is called We Were Eight Years in Power. It comes from the words of a black politician at the end of the period of Reconstruction in the South. Reconstruction was eight years of multiracial democracy that ended when white people were able to grab the rule back and white supremacy returned. And Ta-Nehisi Coates draws a poignant parallel to the eight years with our first black president and then the white backlash that has followed. Ta-Nehisi Coates is not optimistic about the ability of white people to change. And wider human history shows us that we humans have most often been reluctant to give up our power or to step back from places of privilege or even to share what we have with others. But that is precisely what our faith tradition calls us to do. Going all the way back to the Hebrew prophets who spoke truth to power and who saved their harshest criticism for those who lived off the sweat of the poor. Like the prophet Micah who asked, and what does the Lord require of you? And he answered, to act justly and to walk, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I remember our friend Jesus and the first time he stood up in the temple at the start of his public ministry and 
he read from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know how hopeful we can be about the future of our nation. Our history is littered with broken promises and plenty of failure by well-meaning people who lacked the courage and the will to do what was truly needed. And yet, there are those who have made a difference, who have taken the risk of sticking their necks out crossing over to an unknown land and coming back changed, who helped to move things a bit closer to the promised land, and who in doing so found their own liberation. And this is what gives me hope, this invitation to be part of this great transformational work to be builders of that long-hoped-for golden city where wrong is banished and justice reigns. So let this be our faith, and let it be our calling, and let it be our song. We are builders of that city. All our joys and all our groans help to rear its shining ramparts. All our lives are building stones. Let's do something with these lives we have been given while we can. Amen.